Welcome to episode 284 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Well, it's that time again. Providence, if you will, has brought us together <laughs> yes. for another great conversation about theology. And it just so happens that Providence has also determined that on this particular episode, we might also speak of Providence, especially the ordinary kind. It's true. It's true. We'll get into it. I'm pretty excited about this. This yeah, this I'm is like about too. reformed theology bread and butter here is my favorite. One of my favorite. This sounds really goofy, but like the doctrine of ordinary providence is like my, one of my favorite doctrines. It's just, I love it so much. So I'm I can tell actually you have a big smile on your I face. I know I'm like grinning, like I'm, like I'm getting ready to go on a first date or something. It's, it's yeah. pretty exciting. <laughs> a first date with the doctrine of ordinary providence. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. And, and if maybe people haven't kind of jumped into this topic before, I feel excited for them. Cause like, you never forget your first time with ordinary providence in a, yeah, in a way, like it's true being exposed. I got to choose different words here. <laughs> being like <laughs> getting uh intimate man. like record record scratch yes. to stop and reset. Yes, exactly. This is what happens when there's again, no net loved ones. What you see, what you hear rather is exactly everything that's unfolding in real time. So I'm excited about this. This is really the, we keep saying this. I think it sounds like we're trying to somehow emphasize that this is the right way to do things, but this is the beauty of going through theology systematically. You come to these topics, you come to them in hopefully like a logical sequence, at least. And there's great joy, I think, in exploring all of the depths of the full counsel of God as it's kind of been organized for us to try to understand. So here's just another great reason to continue to plot along in all the topics. And that's what we're doing on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we hop into some affirmations and denials and then we'll get started. Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to go positive or negative first? What are you feeling like? Let's go negative first. Oh, okay. I like this. All right. right. So go ahead. What are you denying against on this episode? So this is really just an excuse for me to tell a funny story. Uh, So I'm fine with that. I'm denying against getting peed on in the face, (laughs) directly in the face. So one of the things that you discover as the new, the new parent of a, of a baby boy is they don't give any cares at all about where they pee and when they pee. And so Ashley and I uh, took baby August to his second pediatrician appointment. So you do one, like you get out of the hospital and like two days later, you bring the baby back. So it's the two week visit. So we, we get him there and you got to like strip him down and do the weight and everything. So they take the baby, they, they take the naked baby, put him on the, the scale and then they hand the naked baby back to me. And like what father doesn't look down at their baby when they're holding their baby. Like it's just totally natural instinct to look down at your baby. So I look down at August and he pees directly into my face. Nice. Like there was like some projection going on. So like, I'm, you know, I'm at a doctor's office, so I'm wearing a mask. So it's like, like on my face mask, in my beard, all over the front of my shirt. And like, I didn't even flinch. Like there's something that happens when you become a father, I guess, where like your kid peeing in your face doesn't, doesn't, I don't know, doesn't phase you. Or maybe I'm so sleep deprived. I just didn't, didn't react. But so the, the nursing staff was kind enough to uh, provide me with like a scrub shirt to wear. Cause we had other appointments at the hospital after that. So it wasn't like I could just go home and change. I had to like go back up to the main building. 
So they provided me with a scrub shirt. I went and washed up and stuff. And, and it was funny because I, I came out of the bathroom and I had like a paper towel that I had taken to put, hold over my face as like a makeshift mask. And I walked down to the nurse's station to ask for a new mask. And they thought I was like throwing up. And I was like, no, no, my kid just peed on my face and my, on my face mask. And they were like, that's not one I've heard before. So like I said, mostly just an example or mostly just an excuse to tell a funny story. I think that's great. I think you basically passed a rite of passage, don't you think? But this seems yeah. to be, especially so for boys, right? Because yeah, oh, yeah, because it's like a little squirt gun. Yes. When you, let's just say it this way, when you expose things to the cold air, that yeah. there is a tendency to excite some kind of response. Right. And often that response is something under like 60 PSI yeah. coming right at you. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like a super soaker. I yeah, mean, so it's I, not like, it's not like this was the first time he had peed on me. Um, right. That happened like in the hospital on the second, like the, like the first time I changed his diaper, he peed on me, but it was, it was definitely a new experience to look down into a stream of urine coming into my face. So, <laughs> but I, I don't know, maybe it's something about something about it being your kid. It just, I didn't even bother me. I just went in and washed up. So Yeah. Yeah. So that's my fun story. That's, I I feel like there's going to be a lot of baby August stories coming up on the podcast. So if that's not something you're into, I'm really sorry. You can just like fast forward to like, I don't know, like 15 minutes into the episode. Oh, let's, let's be real. Like 30 minutes into the episode to get past (laughs) affirmations and denials. Um, But yeah, it was a fun, fun, interesting day. It's a nice, fun story. Baby's doing well. Everything's going fine, but it was it was a new experience. So every day is a school day. I'm sure there'll be many. Yes, that is factually correct. I'm sure there'll be many who will resonate with you. And yeah. I think that uh, even if not, this is just you know good training. This is something that you have to look forward to. So I am uh, all for one for baby August and uh, all the subsequent stories that will follow. I'm sure they will not all involve P. So I probably think not. this is probably, yeah, yeah, like at some point they'll involve different things. But here's, here's the thing that we can, because our goal is like inadvertently, we just spiritualize everything because everything is, has a spiritual component. I think that you're right from what I understand is bodily functions with your own child are completely different, even from your own or from like oh, yeah. trying to understand anybody else's. But don't you think this is something about like, there's a different level of comfort and frailty in all of this. Like we just yeah. kind of lean into it a little bit more and it becomes what might've been like even gross or weird just becomes normative when we recognize that we all have needs. And here's yeah. this little one that's before you, that you're in charge, you're vouchsafed to take care of. And yeah this doesn't phase you anymore. Right. Like that's just yeah. a part of his life and what it means to care for him. Yeah. I mean, at some point I'd like to start a podcast called the reformed fatherhood um, with like all of the different things I'm learning about God and about like the Christian faith from like this new, this new role, this new reality of being a father. Like there's all sorts of things. Like, of course my brain is always theologizing things. So as I'm getting cleaned up, I'm thinking like how many times have I just like peed in God's face and like, he loves right. me and he just like, he just cleans me up and, and he, you know, puts my diaper back on and, and we move on to the next thing. And like, that's only possible because of like the unmerited, unconditional love that God has for his children, where like, if another kid peed on me, I'd be like handing that kid off to their parents. And I'd be like walking away. I would never like, I'd be like, you can keep your kid away from me if he's going to pee on my face mask in the middle of the doctor's appointment. So it, I think it's just. Yeah. There's just a lot of, um, you learn a lot about self-sacrifice. I mean, I'm only like 17 days, 19 days into it, something like that. You learn a lot about self-sacrifice and 
unconditional love and just really good lessons and good sanctifying moments if you're if you're willing to pay attention. So yeah, it's good. It's an adventure. Right. That's well said. I mean, all those things that we talked about, we've already spent a lot of time speaking about the Trinity and about God as Father. And the presence of all these characteristics embedded in the Father and how gracious that He gives us in this temporal world experiences and circumstances, not to essentially create those characteristics in Himself so that we might understand them, but to illuminate them in our own lives that we might appreciate them better. That itself is just an amazing gift of God. So yeah. So sure. if you have your eyes, I, I'm guessing like there's a lot of things you're just like, your eyes feel like opened to different things, like the scales yeah. almost falling off and, and seeing God differently. But of course he was always this way, but yeah. this is again, like the prerogative of the spirit who illuminates, who regenerates. So even in that, there's a great lesson yeah. that we can't really see anything on our, of ourselves or on our own accord. Like it must be God who illuminates. And often he does that through giving us children. Yep. It's true. Well, how about you, Jesse? What are you denying today? I'm going back to, I think one that I've said before. So lest anybody say this is like the popcorn and the, (laughs) (laughs) listen, listen, popcorn and coconut oil, still delicious. It is true. Uh, That's again, some might say, I mean, I wouldn't say this, but some might say it's like an eternal contemporary of good cuisine. I mean, those words don't seem like the kind of thing I would say, but definitely always relevant. But I'm going back to this idea of when it comes time to crafting, and I'm going to use that word specifically, the order of worship on the Lord's Day, that it's okay to spend time doing that, not in such a way as to, let's say, like elicit some kind of emotional response, but the order that we do things in and the way in which we think about how we put together some kind of quote unquote, like agenda for the Lord's Day is important and it does matter. And certainly we should come to the Lord's Day with expectation, but also holding that I would say loosely or liberally that we should allow God to do his work through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, the order of things does matter. So for instance, the way in which I think we talked about this before, you use this example of almost like if you're in a courtroom and the judge enters the courtroom and there's that call to order, or in our case, like a call to worship, everything which proceeds after that is solemn in a sense. And so to like kind of backtrack by I don't know, like doing more announcements or trying to do church business. Those are all reasonable things, but it is actually helpful to think about how we craft the order. And so as not to disrupt that order, especially as we're being led into worship through song, for instance, and then coming to the preaching of the word. So I'm just kind of, I guess, denying against some who would say like, it doesn't matter how we do it. And that it's not particularly important or just put things wherever they fall. And if we have a lot of things that we need to get through, sometimes it's helpful to break up stuff because it keeps people's attention. I actually push against that. Yeah. I think that I'd rather you do like all your announcements, all your business up front, for instance, give a call to worship. And then let's say, let's be about worshiping God and hearing yeah. from the scriptures and receiving as a means from grace, everything that the Lord has intended for us to have on the Lord's day. And then, you know, like you, you can conclude that process and then maybe go back to some announcements, but this breaking up for the sake of, trying to bring maybe some variety because that's the spice of life, I think is not helpful on the last day. What what say you about that? Yeah. I mean, if you have so many announcements, (laughs) you need to like stop the worship service in the middle to do more announcements than, than like send an email, like get, get a MailChimp account and just send out like a, like a newsletter once a week with all your announcements. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the order that we do things in, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, like even in, in terms of systematic theology, the order that we right. discuss different doctrines 
not, doesn't necessarily change the, sometimes it does actually change how you think about the doctrines, but it sometimes gives like different color to what, what you're emphasizing um, versus a different order. And I think the order of worship is the same. And, and a lot of times we don't even think about the fact that if we've called the congregation to worship, and we've assembled the you know, we've convoked called together the the gathered people of God. Now everything that we're doing as the people of God, we're doing co- like corporately as the people of God. So right. if we if we insert something like announcements or a funny skit or something like that, not to say I mean honestly, I, people are going to be really upset with me. I don't actually think there's necessarily anything wrong with dramatic elements uh, in a service that serve to fo- like to forward the sermon. Um, I'm not talking about like doing skits, but like dramatic elements of including music in the service that might help to orient people towards a certain thing. I'm not opposed to that in principle, but when you, just because you want to fill space and you don't want it to be quiet when like, when we're collecting the offering, you do like a rock band song, like you, you do something, basically what you're doing is you're engaging the corporate body in worship in a way that's not lawful worship. So I think you're right, especially when it comes to what comes before the call to worship versus after the call to worship. Right. Then again, you know, between the call to worship and the benediction slash dismissal, and then what might come after. I actually know a fair number of churches um, that do, they do their, their announcements and collect the offering after the dismissal. Yes. So, so they'll, they'll do it. They'll say, all right, they'll do the benediction. People start to gather their stuff. Uh, one of the churches that I'm thinking of actually had like video announcements that they would just play after the service. They would just put it up on the right. projector and then they would have the, you know, the ushers would be at the door on the way out with the offering and then you would just toss your tithe or whatever it is on the way out, um, which is fine. Like those are totally, there's freedom in how we structure things, the order of things that we do, you know, do you do the the um, hymns before you do the the sermon, or do you do hymns after? Like there's freedom and there's liberty. That the the reformed tradition actually has a pretty wide variety of orders of service, but um, we have to be thoughtful about what it is we're saying and communicating, and what it is we're actually doing by how we choose to structure things. So I think you're right. you're spot on with that. Right. That's basically where this denial comes from. It's just this idea that. It's okay to be thoughtful about that. As if so, some would say, you know, like we really need to allow so much space that the order is irrelevant and that mm-hmm. God is going to do His thing. And there's others that would say we needs to be really finely tuned to the degree that there is no space for any kind of work of the Spirit that might even slightly cause us to deviate by, let's say, by singing an extra chorus or by going back to sing another verse of the hymn. And there is, it's not just that there's middle ground, but I think that it's really important to understand that we all have a liturgy, of course, and we ought to lean into this because I think that there's this confusion that, well, if somehow we say after the call to worship, it is like, it's like business time. Like that means that it's like so solemn that we can't really have joy or appreciation or be emotive. No, all those things are absolutely appropriate, but the time comes into, we're saying this is a focused place where as best as we can do, we want to focus on God in an uninterrupted way where there are no distractions. And I think actually that when we try to build in like these other little things that move us away from, you know, like, so for instance, let me just say it this way. I've seen some churches that do such a great job of really trying to craft and bring together, let's say worship through music. And then immediately after that, there's something else before like the giving of the word. 
and it just, it pulls everybody away from this yeah. time of focus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this time of preparation and readiness. And you almost feel like everybody's hungry now. Like we responded in worship. We asked for God to come and feed us, that he would be with us. We say that we need him. We've sung that in our own voices. And then it's, you know, time to talk about like the potluck that's yeah. coming up. Yeah. And this to me seems strange. That's all I'm saying. It just seems like really disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a certain level to maybe pull my own statement about dramatic elements back from the brink of chaos. Um, <laughs> in a certain sense, if you look at like the Old Testament, the way the Old Testament worship worked, it was highly symbolic. It was performative. It was almost right. almost a performance in the sense that like the the different elements of what we might think of as like a worship service or a liturgy in the Old Testament they were symbolic, they were representative, they were performative. There's a certain sense in our worship um, where it's not as ornate as that. It's not as, um, I don't know, it's not as ornate, it's not as ceremonial, but there's still a performative, a performative element of that. And so like the assurance of pardon, for example, a lot of churches have like a confession of sin and then a, a, a word of absolution or assurance of pardon, different ways to talk about it. That's a performative act, right? The, the pastor declaring the assurance of pardon doesn't actually accomplish the assurance of pardon that only Christ accomplishes the assurance of pardon, but the performance, the performance of that language of that sort of speech act to declare to the congregation that their sins are forgiven. That's a performative act. And when we all of a sudden introduce something into the order of service, that's not a performative act, like an announcement about a potluck or um, a reminder about a business meeting, all those things have their places, but they're not performative acts. It actually pulls the congregation out of what you might call the drama of the service. Right. Right. So, so it's, there's dramatic elements to the service and there are all sorts of ways to accomplish that right? Certain, certain music orients people to a certain kind of tone. There's nothing wrong. And, and the, the Psalms have different tenors to them, right? Different, different timbers. If there's nothing wrong with a song before a sermon that is particularly introspective, right? Some sermons are very straightforward. Some are very introspective. Some are very action oriented, or they're very um, practically oriented, if, if the pastor is is going to be preaching a sermon that is particularly introspective um, or deals with particularly somber topics, there's nothing wrong with orienting your music to be more somber. Like there's right. nothing wrong with choosing us choosing hymns that are in a minor key, for example, Lament. to set the tone for that. There's performance and drama embedded in that. But when we, when we order things, we have to be careful, just like when you're writing a play, there's a certain arc to the play, right? There's the first act, there's the second act, there's the, the conflict, and then there's the climax, and then there's the decline. All of that is similarly structured in a worship service. And again, it's not that there has to be any one particular way to do it, but we should be thoughtful of these different things as we are choosing how to structure that worship service. It's not just this fits best. Um, but even something like, like our church, we, um, we recently redid some of our order of service because we had officer elections and, and our deacon is not as comfortable doing things up in front. That's fine. Everybody has different personalities. So we, we reordered some of the structure of our order to worship to make sure that the right people who were going to be doing certain things were actually able to get there. So like I'm playing guitar for the worship, but so it doesn't make sense for me to right. then immediately put my guitar down and have to try to go up and lead the congregation in 
a congregational prayer or, or whatever it might be. So we restructured and reordered some of those things. So I actually have time to set my guitar down in a way that's not distracting. That's perfectly fine too, but we should be thoughtful about how we structure these things. There should always be a purpose for why we're doing things. It should never just be like, yeah, I don't think that we, I, I, I think this is just a good spot where we can toss this. Like that's not really a legitimate way to, to do things. Yeah, right on. And it's not over or engineering, right? Like right. there is a reason to think about this and to be dutiful and trying to come together yeah. with something that is super thoughtful. So that's where I'm at. I, I think we've, we talked about this before, but yeah. it just felt like a, I've seen some things, was reading some things and thinking about this and just really appreciating how God has given us the Lord's day and then how we have a responsibility in many ways, especially as leaders, if you're a leader in a church in any capacity, to make sure that we're honoring that yeah. time of gathering together in corporate worship by having a liturgy that does honor the sacredness and that part of honoring that sacredness for that day and an experience is to do it in an order that really is profitable. So I yeah. think that's, it's always worth thinking about. So let's then turn to some more positive things. What are you affirming with? Well, just like my uh, denial was sort of a funny story in disguise, <laughs> my affirmation is actually a denial in disguise. So I um, this, this afternoon between our Lord's Day service and then uh, setting up to record, I watched the first episode of a new docu-series called Hillsong Megachurch Exposed. Ooh. And uh, this documentary is pretty devastating. Um, I think it, it brings to light a lot of the things that probably more so reformed Christians who are tend to be, but this is a shocker, tend to be a little more critical of things than, than other branches of Christianity are. A lot of the things that we instinctively see and think about Hillsong as an organization, as a church, or as a, as a local particularized church, um, it's really bringing those to light. So I don't want to spoil everything. Um, it's, it's an excellently done documentary. Every doc, anyone who tells you documentaries are neutral, it doesn't understand documentary as a, as a style or as a medium. Um, documentaries are designed to tell a particular story and to make a particular argument. And in this case, they're making the argument that Hillsong is basically a giant money-driven cult, um, which it, you know, it basically is. So, I don't want to don't want to like belabor the point, but kind of speaking of like overly performative churches or like right. churches that that make decisions in how they structure worship for the wrong reasons, um, you know, they go into a lot of detail about like how music is used to manipulate, how music is used to create an experience. So, so one of the one of the um, sort of like journalist people they were interviewing says like, well, it's very easy to confuse the experience of God with the experience of an emotional song. And she says like, are you crying because you've had this, this God has this divine intervention in your life. Or are you crying because the song is written in a way that's designed to make you cry. And the environment is, is such that you're already emotionally vulnerable. Um, which is it? And it's really hard to tell. And Hillsong right. has capitalized on that. Um, primarily in an effort to make huge amounts of money. So it didn't necessarily start that way, but that's definitely where it's become. But the, the first episode of the documentary is the only one I've watched. So I'm not sure where the rest of it's going. Um, but this first episode is really talking about like the rise of uh, Hillsong and particularly Carl Lentz and, and all of the mm -hmm. different things that surround that in terms of finances and money and celebrity culture Um it's a pretty devastating critique, I think. So I think I think most people should check it out. It's available on Discovery Plus, uh, which is Discovery Channel streaming service. 
Um, it's not free uh, that the, the service isn't, but it's like $6 a month. So if you have never been, in, I feel like I'm doing advertisement for discovery plus, which isn't what I'm trying <laughs> to do, but if you've never been a subscriber to discovery plus, you can get a free trial. Um, I think it's worth it to, to check out the free trial just to watch this. I think it's probably, it's three episodes or an hour each. So you can just binge it out in a week and be done with it and then cancel your trial. Otherwise it's like five bucks a month to get discovery plus. And I think it would be worth it to, to, buy a month long membership to watch this. It's less than you'd rent a movie at like Redbox or something like that. So check it out. It's a good documentary, something that we shouldn't just close our eyes to. Um, this right. obviously has implications on like what worship songs we sing and and how we think about who gets to put words in our mouth that we then sing, sing to the Lord. Um, it has implications for that. I'm not saying one way or another, whether you should or shouldn't sing Hillsong songs, that's a discussion for a different day, but it is, it does have implications for how we think about that. And by the way, hopefully our listeners can go back and find on their own because I can't point you to where it is, but we've talked about this as well. <laughs> we did. About what music we choose, what words we put into our mouths. And uh, we've actually, I think, in uh, like explicitly answered questions about what do I do with like a Hillsong song where I know yeah. it, it has come out of that church, but the lyrics may seem to be grounded in good theology. How yeah. do I process all that? So rather than recapitulate or come to those things all over again, I would just refer you to the, just listen to all 283 episodes. Yeah, just go, go back and somewhere. Review yeah. It's somewhere in there and it's the definitive episode, wherever it is. And uh, at the risk of like derailing this entire episode, uh, it's interesting you bring this up because one of the things I've been thinking about recently is we, we've spoken again at length about kind of celebrity pastorship, the cult yeah. of personality and also large churches and large churches in this day and age that have multiple campuses. All of this is part parcel, for instance, for Hillsong. That is also yeah. their model. Right. So uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is, I'm not sure I've talked about this in quite some time, but uh, I have a personal friend whose name is, is Broxy Cavey. He was the pastor of a large church called the Meeting House in Toronto, which is multi-campus, about 16 different campuses. And they were part of the BIC, which had rebranded themselves as Be In Christ. It used to be Brethren in Christ, but now Be In Christ in Canada. And perhaps some know that he recently came under investigation at the end of this last year for alleged sexual misconduct. And an independent third-party investigation affirmed that charge, and he left the pastorship. And now there are others, after the proclamation of that verdict, who have come forward and said that they were also came under some abuse and so I'm just increasingly convinced that the cult of personality is only in every way toxic. There is yeah. there are no celebrity pastors. There really shouldn't be. And that yeah. not only perhaps is the temptation too strong in that position. And I, again, Bruxy is my friend. I know him personally. And he would be, he's perhaps my favorite Arminian of all the ones I know, because he's at least logically consistent with his theological views. And we've had very many deep and real conversations about those different viewpoints. Uh, but here is a man that I would never have expected. But this is exactly the thing, right? Isn't it? That yeah. like, when it comes to churches being given large amounts of authority and power, and especially as money becomes involved, I just don't see how these things end well. So there's a reason, yeah. I think, why the Lord gives us these models in which we there are ministers who have great accountability under proper eldership that these things are non-negotiable. And also they're not outmooted. Right. We think we know better because the technology has changed or because we can disseminate or promulgate the gospel in new or different ways, perhaps, that somehow we can deviate from 
the clear instruction that God has given us, it always and in every way ends in tragedy. Yeah. And so Bruxy, unfortunately, is another example of this kind of tragedy. It really is the kind of sorrow that not only besmirches the name of Christ, but in so many ways undermines the ministry of these men who, as we've spoken before, even as they're preaching the truth of the gospel, which they're no doubt doing, they're invalidating it yeah. by their lives. And so I don't know that any one of us would be better equipped under the weight of this kind of uh, like, you know, authority or prominence or celebrity. That's the yeah. problem, right? So yeah. whether it's Hillsong or it's the meeting house, man, is it all so tragic and sad. So yeah. I, I'm really just feeling the weight of all that. And so you bringing that up just made me think this is happening uh almost everywhere, everywhere where you see this take place, where there's yeah. these kind of large organizations, these churches, and with that particular model, I think it inevitably ends in yeah. some tragedy. Yeah. And there's a difference. I think it bears saying, not, not that we're going to get into a whole episode on this. This would be a good episode to talk about sometime, but it would. there's a difference between a pastor who's well-known and has a wide influence and a celebrity pastor. And a lot right. of that has to do with that own person's, that, that pastor's own self-conception of what they're doing. So for just for example, Athanasius was an extremely well-known pastor. He had a huge influence, um, but his, his perspective was he was called to serve the church to die for the church, to follow Jesus, to sacrifice himself for Jesus. He went into exile like five times and was basically like hated by everyone in any sort of position of influence or, or fame in the Roman empire, um, at least in the Eastern part of the Roman empire. Contrast that with Carl Lentz, who's the, the executive pastor, senior pastor, grand poobah, whatever they call him of Hillsong, New York city, who rolls up in his private limo to the service goes in, does more or less a comedy show, motivational speech, and then immediately rolls out the back door with his security entourage, um, you know, in an $18,000 hooded sweatshirt back into his private limo off. Like nobody talks to him. Nobody sees him. He doesn't have office hours. If Carl Lentz was forced to sacrifice for the truth of the gospel or the, the soundness of doctrine, I have a really tough time thinking that if he is willing to live his life the way he he very publicly lives his life, that he would be willing to sacrifice any of that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I am. Maybe I'm making a rash judgment. But if you think about those contrasts, a pastor who's willing to live and serve and if necessary, die for the truth of the gospel and for the good of his congregation versus a guy who basically there, his congregation lives and dies and sacrifices for the good of the pastor and for his really super expensive, you know, hooded sweatshirts. And I, I'm saying $18,000 sweater. I'm not even exaggerating that number. They have documentation of him in this documentary wearing a, I don't know, like a Louis Vuitton Supreme, uh, I don't know what it's a Supreme hooded sweatshirt or something that at the time the video was taken was retailing for $15,000. And there's a clip of, of Justin Bieber kind of joking with Carl Lentz about wearing this expensive sweater. So it's just a, a major contrast. Um, anytime that we see a pastor of a large organization, a large church like that, who is, is profiting or benefiting at the expense of his congregation, that's where we run into problems. That doesn't mean that a pastor can't make a large salary. Like being a pastor is a very difficult job. And the larger your church is, um, the, the more difficult it often is. So sometimes people point at John MacArthur, who makes a, a 
and from what I understand, a pretty significant salary. Um, I don't know whether it's justified or not, but he has an extremely large congregation and he runs, he has to run that congregation. And as far as I know, he's, he's doing things like pastoral care for some, you know, a good portion of his congregation. I don't have a problem with a pastor who has a huge workload and a huge congregation making a decent sized salary. But when you're talking about someone like Carl Lentz, who basically is a motivational speaker, you know, he's, he's making a very different kind of situation. So I don't want to belabor that point. Check out the documentary. Um, and, you know, unless episode two and three are just terrible. And the first one is all, all the good stuff. Um, it's a very well done documentary. It seems to be, um, honest. Like I said, that doesn't mean unbiased that the, the filmmakers went into this to make an argument. And that's the point of a documentary, but it does seem like they're being honest. It doesn't seem to be shady in their reporting that they've checked out the sources. They've, they've get, they've got the receipts as they say. Um, and I think it's a well-done documentary. And again, it's something, this is kind of like the rise and hill Mars Hills podcast. We should right. not close our eyes to this. Right. This one's a little easier for us not to close our eyes to, cause it's not one of our guys. Um, it was harder for us to to listen to and watch the the rise and fall of Mars Hill because Mark Driscoll is one of our guys. Um, but we should not close our eyes. We should not turn away from this because it's important for us as Christians to understand what the gospel does not bring about. The gospel doesn't yield what's going on and what has gone on at Hillsong if Amen. if this documentary is even close to accurate. So that's that's my affirmation with a huge denial attached to it. Um, check it out again. It's called uh, Hillsong Mega Church Exposed. You can get on Discovery Plus. Excellent. I think that's it's your turn. Yeah, that's great. I'll keep it. That's really quick, so we can get to some good providence. <laughs> so I'm going to affirm with a book that maybe might be outside the scope of the reading of many of our listeners, which is in part why I'm recommending it. So I'm affirming with a book called "Fooled by Randomness: The Hidden Role of Chance in Life and in the Markets." It's Ooh. by Nassim Talib. And while it has the word markets in the title, there is, of course, a slight financial bent. But if you don't know Nassim Tlaib, he is a polarizing figure. He's also not super humble. So why am I affirming <laughs> this book? This book is really about opacity, luck, uncertainty, probability, human error, risk, and decision-making in a world that we don't understand. And the reason why I'm saying it's worth the read is, one, you're going to learn a lot about, I think, just a general human condition, at least from the perspective of somebody from the outside who's studying it. And I would say he recognizes a depravity, but he doesn't call it that. Yeah. And the second thing is, it's fascinating. It really help you understand what it means to think about risk. But he goes into great depth about this idea, this almost embedded property where humans think deterministically. That is, like the world is determined. but he recognizes that everything around us is all about probabilities. And he struggles with trying to understand why that is. Yeah. Now, of course, we might say with Solomon that God has put eternity into our hearts. We know that there is a creator, that we have all of Romans 1 like propping us up, saying that there is some deterministic capability in the universe, and that therefore we must recognize it, while at the same time understanding that things happen that we don't understand. So this has been like a great source of comfort for me, actually. And this book has been a wonderful, you know, kind of propelling me forward into doxology because, you know, at one point he talks about how he basically kind of critiques courageous people and says, well, courageous people are really stupid people who don't understand probabilities <laughs> because like they're just moving forward, not recognizing yeah. that everything is actually against them. And this would be like the naturalistic worldview, but God, 
Yeah. And so I think that there's a lot to learn here. It's really great. It's super interesting. It's also story-based stuff. He actually goes into great depth about how this is not a textbook. It's not quantitative in its essential nature. It's all about qualitative. So I really do affirm this. So check out Fooled by Randomness by Nassim Tlaib. It might be the kind of thing that is some good variety reading for you yeah. in a totally different sphere, but you'll find all these lovely spiritual implications. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, before we move on to the topic, I just want to make one quick reminder. We have started a Telegram channel as well as a Telegram group. Um, we had some lovely discussion yesterday, uh, which was on Saturday the 26th, about the uh, the concept of merit in the pre-fall covenant of works and whether that's a valid category. And and we we talked about some of that stuff. Um, so there's, there's a couple good brothers that are in the channel and it's growing as we speak. Um, so you can join the telegram channel at T the letter T dot M E slash reform brotherhood. Or if you're just interested in getting announcements and links to the episodes and maybe some word art or some, some quote art from books that I'm reading, um, or other stuff I come across, you can go to T dot M E slash love the brotherhood. And either one of those links, uh, the channel is just announcements. The group is interactive and, uh, it was a lot of fun just to sort of chat with other brothers. Um, we would, I'm just saying brothers, cause that's all that's in there right now. We welcome all of our sisters to join as well, but, um, it was, it was just good and fun chat with people that I haven't interacted with before. There's a lot of listeners who I've never encountered directly on Facebook when I was on social media. So it's nice to sort of hear, uh, or see the voices. That's a weird sentence to see the, the personalities of people as they, they chat in this group. Um, there's cool stuff. I'm, I've got planned. We're going to do some polls. There's, uh, we can set up like uh, nested threads and stuff to do specific discussion things. So yeah, check it out, especially the group t.me slash reform brotherhood. And if you have telegram, it'll jump you right in the channel. If you don't have telegram, it should give you instructions for how to uh, join and download telegram. And you can do that on your computer or on your mobile phone. Um, it's a, a cross-platform secure channel. So yeah. I, I'm enjoying it immensely. So check it out, t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. It's just good old-fashioned fun. It is a community, yeah. and that and that's what we're after. So speaking of the community of believers, let's get together and talk a little bit about this idea of providence. And once again, here's a topic that we have covered at length, at least to some degree in previous episodes. But here's the thing about providence. It's like lasagna. You heat it up, and it gets better like the second or the third <laughs> time, right? It's so true. Like, it's true. Here we are. We're coming back to it again in a slightly different place, in a slightly different time, and with new circumstances. So I think we want to talk a little bit about providence generally, but then we're going to talk in subsequent weeks really about some more specifics, going to unpack it a little bit more. So you know, generally, of course, we think of providence, the providence of God specifically as like his working out of the sovereignty to continually uphold God and care for all of his creation. And God's providence is the working of his power to take care of all that he's created like through time perpetually. I've actually heard some theologians have described it as like continual creation, which I actually right. kind of find helpful. This idea that, of course, like we're not deists. God didn't just like set the world into order and say like, all right, peace. Let me observe from my deck chair back here and see yeah. how everything unfolds. But that he is actually equally intimately even as he's transcendent, imminently involved in all of this, so that providence of God is leaving no room for chance or competition between God or another power. See, now you see why I was affirming that book about chance. Yeah, see, there you go. It's all coming together. So, and as like God is like the primary cause, he's causing everything. Yeah. But this does not remove the ability of creatures to cause 
or to act. So here we find ourselves. God has created, and then we have him in this continual creation, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Helpful analogy that I've, uh, I don't know where I heard it. I may have made it up and think that I heard it somewhere, um, but I, I don't remember, um, is, you know, creation and providence are in some ways like step one and step two of a, of a broader operation or act of God. Right on. And you can kind of think of it as like, well, if I have something that I need to move, I pick it up, I lift it, and then I carry it, right? So lifting is like creation. It's a one-time act. You, you pick it up off the ground that happens once, but then when you carry it, you're, you're holding it up as you move it, and that's a continual act. So both of those things are necessary to then bring whatever it is to wherever you're bringing it, but creation is a one-time act lift and then and then providence is the ongoing work of sustaining that and and the reason we're gonna we're gonna do at least two episodes probably just two episodes um, we have general providence or ordinary providence and then we have what our confessional standards refer to as kind of a special providence and the, the big difference between that is how God interacts with or how God uses secondary causes in those kinds of things. Um, obviously, all things happen according to God's providence. That's a reformed or basic reformed right. position. All things unfold according to his decrees and, and the way that they unfold, unfold according to his providential guiding, his providential intervention, his providential sustaining of all things. But we can talk about ordinary providence, which primarily takes the shape of God being the first cause and then things unfolding according to secondary right. causation. When we talk about special providence, we have to talk about sort of God actually enters into the created order. He doesn't become a creature. We're not talking about the incarnation here, but God enters into the created order and actually operates in a, in a way similar to like a secondary cause. He's not a secondary cause because there's no reverse causation. We talked about that before. So that's the main distinction that we're going to see. And we'll see next week when we talk about or, uh, special providence, there's some specific categories that we apply that to. But ordinary providence really is as straightforward as understanding the idea that like the role of a dice happens according to define, and this probably ties into this chance thing. Chance right. is not the same thing as probability. Right. right. Probability is a, a, an attempt for us to think about all the different possible causation that is applied to a certain scenario and try to, to make an educated uh, calculation about which which outcome is likely based on what we know about the situation. And we only have imper imperfect knowledge of those things. If we had perfect knowledge of every single factor of the dice throw where where the wind currents are the the density of the dice the density of the surface the turn of the earth the grab you know the distance to the nearest star all of those things in a roundabout way play into how that dice actually lands on the table and if even even if we take the concept of god out of the picture if we had perfect knowledge of all of the factors we could accurately predict how something that seems random like a dice throw actually would unfold according to those different causations so when we're talking about ordinary providence we're talking about how god superintends and sustains and is the first cause that makes all of those ordinary secondary causes be what they are and operate how they are. To put it another way, if God ever stopped being the first cause of all things, everything would right. cease to exist. Exactly. There would be nothing in existence if God were not upholding it by the will of his power. So when we when we have this sort of like, it's funny because sometimes people say like, um, 
worship like a Calvinist, pray like an Arminian, right? And, and I think that's just stupid, right? We should pray like Calvinists because <laughs> if God is not actually intimately involved in every detail of everything, then we can't expect him to accomplish much of anything in the created order, especially salvation. But when we think about creation, we should be thinking about the fact that if if something happens, at the very least, it's because God is sustaining that thing in its power. When an right. evil person commits an evil act, we have to be very careful how we talk about God as the first cause of that. But at a bare minimum, God was still sustaining that person's existence when they committed that evil act. And he was sustaining whoever or whatever it was that that, per- that evil person committed that evil act upon. And so to say God is abstracted or absent from that is just incoherent. So that's what we're kind of talking about when we say ordinary providence is we're talking about this secondary causation, what our, what our confessional standards, our tradition calls secondary causes or um, things like that. That's what we're getting at. And it's important. This is, again, one of those... It's not necessarily unique about the Reformed tradition, but it's definitely a Reformed distinctive that we have this comprehensive doctrine where God is actually involved in the minutia of every single thing, yes. every atom, and it's every proton and electron and their positioning. Every single one of those is determined and decreed and, and sustained by God at every moment. That is a radically different perspective than most, and I'll say this, than most of what especially modern Christianity, but even historic Christianity has had a much looser view of God's involvement in the world. Now, people will make arguments that that means it's not a true position because it doesn't have a historic pedigree. It does have a historic pedigree. We're not going to get into that, but it is definitely not the majority report in the, the vast majority of Christianity. doesn't mean it's not true. doesn't mean it's not right, but we have to be honest about that. Man, you're bringing that Hebrews one flavor yes. hard right now. I thought you were about to go R.C. Sproul, Rogue Molecule on I was thinking it. It was in the back of my head. Yeah, it was was so close. But of course, like you're you're exactly right. It strikes me as you say that, that maybe most modern evangelicals are like practical deists who basically consider like God's creation to be activated by some inherent impulse of physical motion at the creative moment. Like that creation is dependent, of course, on the immediate power of God, which we would affirm. But this providence, this ordinary providence you're talking about is beyond that. It's like detailed. It's meticulous. And God continually exerts his power to keep his creation in being without which the creator world would become absolutely nothing, like literally nothing. So like traditionally, the distinction between God as the first cause and created causes as secondary is employed to demarcate the distinction between the creatures, causal powers invested in them by their creator and God's. So like, for instance, this is the only way I can think about it. When I eat popcorn with coconut oil on it, it's not God like eating my popcorn. So right. it's like God yeah. upholds me in existence and conserves my powers by a fresh input of his power. And then I eat the popcorn by my power. So right. God conserves in existence what he has created as he sees fit. Besides creating and conserving, he's also governing his creation for his purposes. That is his creation is purposive and it has a specific end in mind. So I think that is kind of like undervalued in modern evangelicalism, this idea that it's like the almost, I don't want to say like equal effort, but but the intimacy of God in every moment that does God care about everything and everything that is going on, we would say, yes, yes, a thousand times, yes, yeah. that this is the love of our Savior. And I would go on to add one more thing. And what you were saying, it also struck me that this kind of ordinary providence 
is really like a mediated layer in our lives. That even here, for both those who are believers and not, those who are in the kingdom and not, those who have been appropriated and adopted as children of God and heirs of the kingdom by the power of Jesus Christ, and those who are outside of that family, even there, all the time, there is like this mediating of God, so to speak. It's an ordinary mediation, which allows us to continue to live even as we deserve punishment for sin, where there ought to be just retribution for transacting against the covenant of God and the agreement that we as humankind have under his purview, that that is mediation of a different kind. And it is ordinary providence to see that the rain does fall on the evil and also the good. That that there's a layer of benevolence where God in his kindness comes and mediates. It's the ordinary kind. It's like the normative kind. Ordinary, not in the sense that it's like throwaway, but in the sense that it's so common and it's so common as to seem like we ought to take advantage of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so like, I think that is like what we're trying to draw out in the distinction between ordinary and any other kind of God's providence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge um, this doesn't mean that there are not free choices, right? This is something that I think a lot of, a lot of particularly newer reformed people um, I don't mean like new new Calvinists, although they most of the time people who would be considered new Calvinists fall into this category as well. But people who are coming into the Reformed tradition, whether it's through kind of what I think is like a sub-Reformed form of the Reformed tradition, like new Calvinism um, or or kind of Calvinistic dispensationalism or something like that, or even some people who are brand new and are are pushing forward to a, a full confessional capital R Reformed perspective is they miss the fact that that we still have free choices, right? So God's God's providence does not override our free will, right? All right. things come to pass immutably and unchangeably, yet without doing violence to the will of the creature, right? That's part of our confessional tradition. Um, and, and just looking here at Westminster chapter five, which is the chapter on providence, um, section three, it says God in his ordinary providence, right? That's what we're talking about. Ordinary providence makes use of means, so he, he's doing things through created media. It's not, it's not an immediate or a, an unmediated act of God. It's through a created media, makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, or against them at his pleasure. So God ordinarily uses these secondary causations. He ordinarily, the, the, best, the best kind of easy way to explain it is, is, and if you're running into the problem where someone doesn't understand this distinction, you can say, well, what causes the rain to fall? Well, you can look at the Bible and the Bible clearly says that the Lord causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Yet at the same time, we also say that it's true that what causes the rain to fall is the principles of physics and condensation in the air. And eventually the water droplets condense around dust particles and they get too heavy to stay up in the clouds. And so they fall from the sky. Those two things are both true and they're not contradictory. And so that principle that God causes it, you know, in a certain sense and that natural natural principles or ordinary causation causes it in a, sec, a different sense, a primary sense and a secondary sense. Both of those things are true. And then it's um, just to back up a tiny bit to um, section two, although in relation to foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, right, primary cause, all things come out, come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence. So it's not a different providence that causes things to happen according to one, one mode and according to a different mode. It's the same providence. He ordereth all them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either 
one necessarily, two freely, or three contingently. And so what that means there is some things happen by necessity, right? In a, in a universe where gravity exists, an object uh, containing mass will fall towards another object containing mass at a defined rate. They attract each other at a defined rate based on their, their mass and their density, right? That's a necessary truth of the way that the, the universe is structured. Um, two plus two will necessarily always, always equal four. So whenever you have two things and you have another two things and you combine them somehow, you have four things. That's a necessary reality that that falls out according to God's providence or freely. Right. I made a decision when I when I named this episode to name it ordinary providence rather than general providence. I did that freely. I made that decision freely, yet it still unfolded according to God's providence. And then contingently. Right. There are contingent truths. Um, if I hold object A up and I drop it towards and I, I let it go, then it then it will fall towards the ground, right? And contingent causation usually operates based on putting something in a scenario related to a necessary a necessary cause, right? Gravity and the way it functions in the, given the universe God has created is a necessary reality. Right. Whether or not I actually drop an object, that's a contingent reality. But all three of those different kinds of things, which it's hard to sort of think sometimes to slot a, a given event into that framework, but all events, all actualities, all occurrences fall out according to one of these categories. And all of those categories operate according to God's providence, even the ones that seem like they involve a degree of freedom or uncertainty, right. like, like free choices or contingent, um, contingent things, those also still unfold according to God's providence. Right. Yeah, that's well said. Like, I think one of the clear corollaries of this kind of like meticulous providence we're talking about is the banishment from our thinking of things, the, the word lucky, like lucky events yeah. or actions is the operation of fortune. There's no source of events. However surprising or capricious they may seem to us, all of this is God, the almighty God, working all things according to the counsel of his will. And even, I think there's like a brilliancy in this, right? Because sometimes there's the sense to, there's the idea that we have this sense that somehow God is like appropriating or like reappropriating these things for his glory. Yeah. The rules, the super Jason structure, which he's created the universe, all of this is ultimately contingent upon him. And there is like an amazingness that these things, like you said, rain happens by the way, according to the council as well, according to these rules, which he set into place, all these things operate with like clarity and order, emphasizing, giving him glory as the one who is full of order and truth and clarity. Yeah. So even there, there's just like, everything is testimony. Everything around us is testimony to the province of God. Even as we see that it does not remove from us the ability to act in ways that are commensurate with, of course, our nature yeah. and our purpose. So it's why, of course, like James cautions us not to take for granted events that at present seem subject to our own will. You know, even Satan and other fallen angels are all subject to the divine will. That's what led, of course, Luther to say that the devil is God's devil. Theology is monistic. It's not dualistic. And so right. it's just really important to, I think, remember and draw us back to these things as like a great source of comfort for everyday life. Like, does God care that in the morning you might get up and eat like Lucky Charms versus like, I know it's another cereal. I can't think of any right now. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Horatio Magellan. Like <laughs> in a real sense, does he care? Yes, of course. Yeah. Like, and this is happening in folding coins as well. Does that make like a discernible material difference in your life? Maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't remove the fact 
that God is intimately involved and intimately concerned and intimately loving, even in that minor detail. Like this is how right. big God is. I was recently reading that book, like I affirmed last week from J.B. Phillips about your God is too small. And one of the things he cautions against is that we tend to, to understand God by taking like a human element, like knowledge or care or love or concern. And all we do is we take the human equivalent and we try to like expand it exponentially right. and then yeah. to equate that with God. And here we're talking about something altogether different. Yeah. So like we normally think like, well, God doesn't care for you, Captain Crunch in the morning. What a minor, trivial, minute, unimportant detail. And we're saying, no, no, this is the God that we serve and who yeah. we love, that he orders all things according to his glory, and that he cares about all things infinitely. And he's able to do so in a way, especially for those whom he loves. But I'm getting ahead of us because yeah. we're talking just about the ordinary. It's true. And, you know, I'll say this, and maybe maybe this will be where we close. Sometimes you read, there's like this internet, like the kind of like email that your, your grandma used to send you a forward of. That's like one of those like cheesy Christian story things. And it was like, you know, it starts out and it's like this guy and he's talking to God and he's like, God, I'm so frustrated. I, I got up this morning and my car wouldn't start. And then, then I didn't, I missed that red light and I, I got stuck and then I was late to work and, you know, and then I bought coffee, but I spilled it all over myself. And I just don't understand why you would let anything like this happen to me or why, why you didn't stop any of this. And then God like patiently responds. He's like, well, you know, your car didn't start because uh, if you, if it had started on time, then you would have backed out and would have been hit by the garbage truck. And the reason you missed that red light is because blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, and the reason you were late to work is because uh, you, you would have walked in on coworkers who were talking about you behind your back. And that really would have hurt you. And it's like all of these reasons why God did all these things. And it's all related to like me, 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 me in reality, right? Your car didn't start because God, God decided that that was the right, right. thing for whatever right. reason, maybe in some contingency. Yeah. Maybe if your car had started on time, you would have been involved in some kind of accident, but it's, it, that kind of perspective on Providence actually puts God like sort of in the creation, but he just has a lot of yes. knowledge. And yes, so exactly. he knows that he knows that if it's actually like a weird Molinism, to be honest, yes, but he knows that if, if your car started on time, you would have been in this place at that time. And I think we've all had experiences where we, we, something happens in our life and it seems like a frustration or a delay or something goes wrong and then we look we we find out that something else happened during that time frame right we 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 were in a job and we got a demotion and then like a couple months later that position was eliminated and so since you got a demotion you you actually got to keep your job instead of just being let go by the company like that kind of stuff happens and it's not to say that god doesn't protect and preserve his people in those ways although that happens to non-believers too, where they they recognize that somehow uh, something that seemed like a bad thing actually ended up protecting or preserving them in some way. We have to get out of this idea, however we want to conceptualize it, however we dig ourselves out of this rut that I think we're all naturally in. We have to get out of this idea that God is just another actor in the in the right. world. He's just another he's another cause that maybe is a more powerful cause and a more comprehensive cause, but he's just another cause. And this actually, we'll talk again, we'll talk about this more next week, but there's a common idea, especially among charismatics that like the reform position basically means like God's not involved because he doesn't, he doesn't step in and do miracles. But in reality, right. the reformed position and then our Lutheran brothers and sisters who are also very, very deterministic in their theology 
God is actually so much more involved than your, your average charismatic Amen. who really thinks for the most part, God is uninvolved except for these times right. when he steps in, right? That if you put, if you put um, super involved and deism, right. On, on a spectrum, reformed theology is as close to strict determinism as you can get where charismatic theology is as close to, um, to deism where God basically just like winds up the top and lets it go as you can get. Right. So we'll talk more about that because this this comes into play a lot more when you're talking about things like salvation or the fall of man or how the church operates. All of those things are part of what we're going to call special providence, largely because that's what our confessions call it. So we'll get into that, but that's important for us to land now because if you think ordinary providence means that God's basically uninvolved and except when he's not uninvolved, then you've, you've missed it altogether. Ordinary providence from a reformed perspective means that God is as intimately comprehensively involved in everything that there is. There's no possible way for him to be more comprehensively involved yes. because he is a hundred percent engaged in, in, in action. He's operating within the created order to sustain it a hundred percent of the time with his entire being and his full potency at all times in all places. That's reformed theology. And that's something I think a lot of people, even in the reformed world are really uncomfortable with. So it's yeah, important agreed. for us. I say it's important for us a lot on this show because it that's is great. It is important, us. but it's really critical for us to get that. <laughs> or we, we end up in these weird spots where like all of a sudden we think, yeah, I didn't get that job and I, I really was supposed to. And so I, God, God must not have a plan for me anymore because his plan was for me to get that job and I didn't get it. Right. Like that's not a reform position. That's not even a Christian position. Right. Um, so we have to land this. We have to understand it. Um, and it, it really has a lot of practical import. This is why I say I love the doctrine of ordinary providence, because when something that we perceive or feel is bad, I mean, I talked about this when, when I talked about my mom dying. That feels really bad. Like it really sucks. I still have times. I mean, it's only been like a month, so I, I wouldn't expect to be pat, quote past it. But I, I still am running into times where I think like, oh, I should really call my mom soon. I haven't talked to her for a while. And then all of a sudden I remember, oh, she's gone. Well, all of that is tied up in God's ordinary providence. And right. we had like a whole year, I think, where we, we landed on this one phrase in the Heidelberg Catechism. All things yes. must serve my salvation. All things must be subservient to my yes, salvation amen. as a Christian. So whether it's I got in a car wreck and died, that's subservient to my salvation. Whether it's I uh, someone somewhere bought a lottery ticket and gave me a million dollars, that's not a great example, but that's subservient to my salvation. I lost my job, that's subservient to my salvation. I got an unexpected promotion, that's subservient to my salvation. Right? My baby is healthy my baby's not healthy. My wife is healthy. My, my wife's not healthy. All of this is subservient to my salvation. And without a robust doctrine of ordinary providence and God's intimate involvement in it, we can't have that theology. We can't have that comfort or assurance. Right on. That was like the ultimate teaser for next week already. So it is. wherever you are, wherever you get your podcast, come back to that same place next week and we'll continue to have this conversation. We'll talk about some more of those specific means by which we see the manifest presence of God in uh, his his providence. I chuckled when you kept saying 100% because I've been giving my wife a hard time. She has a colleague and that colleague has promulgated or passed along to her this phrase 100% and it seemed to have gotten out of control in my household to the point where I'd be like, <laughs> are we having hot dogs for dinner? My wife would be like, yeah, 100%. I'd be like, I, like that's binary. I don't like, yeah. so I, I like what you're saying. Like, is God involved? 100%. Just yeah. straight up, like 100%. You don't have to doubt it, 100%. Just yeah. that easy to answer that question. Yeah. And that ordinary providence, is it present? 100% it is. 
So I, I love that as kind of like a landing point. So in the interim, while you're waiting for this next epic episode to drop, I would suggest, and I think Tony would join me, that you just go out to reformbrotherhood.com. And what you'll find there is all of the resources that we have. And there is a little link that says join the brotherhood. One of the things that you can do if you're so inclined after satisfying all of your responsibilities, especially financially to your own church, if the Lord has you to give some resources toward what we're doing here, we appreciate that. So many have come alongside and have done that. And what that means is this podcast will forever and always be free because we have so many lovely brothers and sisters who are helping to support all of the costs, when it downloads fast in your app, when the website is up, when our voices sound reasonable and that like we're speaking from a tin can, that's because so many brothers and sisters have come alongside and said, yes, we're with you in this. We want to support this. Yeah. And I want to particularly thank Sister Patricia, who joined through Patreon recently and is giving toward the work here. Thank you so much, Sister Patricia. We're so happy and I'm so grateful, again, for all those resources. This is what keeps us going. So if you're interested in that, just go to the website. Of course, you can leave us a voicemail. You can email us. Join in, everyone. Go, as Tony said in the beginning, go get Telegram. Telegram is pretty awesome. Let Telegram replace like your, your default messaging app. Yeah. I feel like it's just better. Oh, it's totally better. Yeah, and one other thing you can do um, is check out our... our um merch shop. So we don't talk about this a ton. Um, I got a very lovely email from a listener of the show who said, you know, I really would love if you uh, put black t-shirts on there. Cause I, I, I don't love the Ooh. gray or the white t-shirts. Nice. And I wrote back and said, you got it, man. So if you, <laughs> uh, if you go to the website and you see something that you would like Great in a story. different color, or if you, if you think I'd really love a hoodie or I would love a reform brotherhood mouse pad or whatever, Ooh. if you, if you want us to put our face on something and you want to buy it, then shoot us an email at info at reformbrotherhood.com and we will see what we can do to make it happen. But all of that merch that you buy, we try to keep the cost low. We try to keep it reasonable, um, but we do have put a tiny bit of overhead because the purpose, some of the purpose of that merch is to help support the show. So if you're not into the Patreon thing or you want to, you're shopping for a gift and you know someone who loves the show and you want to buy them something, um, that is another way to help us uh, with some of the costs of the show as well. And again, if you want me to put together like a, a Reform Brotherhood purse with your face on it, I could do that. <laughs> Uh, I could do like men's boxers. If you want Jesse in my face, clastered across your fanny, we can make that happen. Uh, so yeah, I'm getting a little out of hand here, but uh, we love to sell stuff that you want to buy. So let me know if there's something you'd like. This is great. All that to say, and we, we truly mean this. I'm sure lots of podcasts say this, but this is a family. It really yeah. is a community that we're trying to build. So as Tony said, you, with joining like the Telegram group, for instance, you're getting like access. I was reading through all the conversation was happening because, like I said before, that's like my default messaging app. Yeah. So like it's my wife asking, "Do we need more soy milk?" And also, I'm, there's this lovely conversation side by side about what it means, the <laughs> obedience of Christ means, yeah, and all of its like manifestations. So we want to connect with those who are on this journey of trying to get after what it means to honor God, to love Him, to understand a reformed theology and to live of life, both a piety, but of just enjoyment of God. And so of course, everything we talked about today with respect to Providence is such a large part of that. So I hope people are encouraged by this conversation and we'll continue it. So go find a friend, listen to this episode, talk about it. And then when you decide that you need something to drink, you just go out to the reformbrotherhood.com website and there's plenty of pint glasses and mugs that you can purchase to fill up with your favorite beverages. It's true. Well, Jesse, 
my timer that tells me how long the episode is going shut itself off a little while ago, which means we've probably gone too long. So until next time, honor everyone. Love that brotherhood.